Storm Bowling Products, the Bowler's Company presents the Storm Collegiate Spotlight with Steve Klimkin and Tim Berg. Storm's Executive Director of Marketing and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now, here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast is Chad McLean. Chad is a technical director with Storm and also has some collegiate bowling ties. So, Chad, it's Tim Berg and Steve Klemkin here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Chad, your collegiate bowling ties go back to the University of Florida where you were a collegiate coach down there. So let's talk about that and, and what was memorable to you and your time when you were coaching down there at the University of Florida. Well, I mean, the, the kind of interesting thing is I didn't know college bowling existed until after I graduated college. So when I started it, I didn't, I, I went into it without any, any preconceived notions, if you will. I didn't know what to expect. I was learning all this for the first time, the formats and the travel and what a tier is and, and all the, you know, different types of rules. I mean, it was a different it was a completely different ball game than anything I had been used to. I was just a bowler up until that point. In fact, I wasn't even in a pro shop uh, then either. So going into it, it was I had to learn fast, if, if I if I can if I can say that. But it was nice because, again, yeah, I wasn't I didn't have any expectations. I didn't have any preconceived notions. So um, I had a blast. It was an absolute blast. Uh, uh, being there and just seeing the environment um and it's just how loud it gets sometimes uh with these teams and the travel out to vegas and everything it was and and that's when i really really picked up on uh what lane transition is because i don't think i ever really saw anyone loft the gutter as much as i did then in person uh even compared to now so um and and that of course help propel my own game uh, learning and watching ball reactions so it was all good it was all good I, I took away everything i possibly could from it now this was at the uh, university of florida you know which is a it's a, a huge school it's a great academic school um the sports there is uh, very you know storied between their football programs and basketball programs national champions and and such and actually my wife went there as well she had uh, talks about university of florida quite a bit so once you kind of dig into that a little bit more what it was like uh, i think they actually had they have lanes on campus there don't they they do the reach union center yeah uh, uh eight lanes i think it was eight lanes yeah and marcia um the, the gentleman who coached her was the guy who hired me uh, to be the assistant coach before he retired mike piva and um He's been doing it for, gosh, I can't even tell you how many years. And he was a professor at, uh, no, he was a research scientist at University of Florida and uh, doing uh, testing when I was there. He was doing testing on rats, the effect of alcohol on rat playing. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, the University of Florida, great academics and Geez, I was there during the peak of Tim Tebow time, too. So, mm. uh, lots of good free entries into football games. Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. I, I might have deviated a little bit. 
<laughs> so, Chad, now you're out there at Storm as a technical director. How are you still, in a way, working with the collegiate players and coaches when it comes to your role at Storm? Well, I think um, when, you know, when we're putting these balls together and and Steve's been doing them way longer than I have, we listen to everybody. We listen to the pros, we listen to the pro shops, we listen to customers. And I absolutely listen and pay attention to the collegiate scene um, and, and see what's doing well, see what's performing, and then build, build off of that in, in ways. So um, as far as a ball development process goes, uh, listening to people, listening to the coaches, and done a few seminars, trips you know, to Wichita State and uh, Mount Mercy, and built some things for them. And it's, it's, you know, Wichita, its reputation precedes itself and Mount Mercy's up and coming. They've had some great success lately too. So being a part of not only programs that have um, done well in the past and historically have, um, being a part of the programs that are um, beginning to do well and get their names out there like Mount Mercy. And, and in a couple of weeks we're doing, I'm doing an online, uh, doing a custom presentation for uh uh, Tulane University, the women's team. Um, so still involved, but in ways that, you know, I could never have imagined before. Uh, and without the pro shop experience and without the, the collegiate experience in the past, it wouldn't be where I was, where I am today with that knowledge, that base baseline knowledge base. Are you now having uh, spoken with, and, uh, and we've had a few of the, uh, those coaches as well, you know, from Wichita State and Mount Mercy and such on the, on our podcast. But uh, are there any, uh, you know, similarities uh, and stuff that you've seen? I mean, these are some very successful programs. Are there certain things that in talking with and working with them through some of these camps that you've seen that they're, um, that maybe separate them from the crowd a little bit? Uh, As far as how they do things, I mean, the structure is, Unlike, I mean, they treat it like it's a, like it's, you know, a football or a basketball. The structure of the practices, um, the training, they have classroom, they have mental game preparations, and with mm-hmm. as far as the physical game stuff, you know, mental game preparation classes with you know sports psychologists that are either on campus or someone um, you know comes in from the third party. But uh, and as far as the physical stature goes, the they teach the fundamentals they they grind it into without the fundamentals you you know balance and um, swing and free swing and uh, I mean there's nothing fancy to Francois's game but Mm. he's got amazing fundamentals and how many times I heard Coach Vatican preach um, if you just basic fundamentals get you a long long way so I think from those things, they, I was really impressed with um, both of those kind of aspects there. And so you went to school and uh, and got your master's actually in exercise uh, and, and health science. So you're very well into into that side of bowling. And that's something that we're seeing more and more on the college side of bowling. It seems like that was probably even in college bowling before it made it to the pros. But talk about that a little bit, just how um how that how exercise plays a role in bowling and and we see it on the college level and now like I said it's even even a lot of guys on tour they're they're in the gym and they're always working out and you talk to you know doing interviews with like Norm Duke and some of the guys on the PBA 50 tour they say they're active in more 
doing cardio and doing stuff more weightlifting and training than what they've ever done in their lives. Yeah, you have to. I mean, geez, it's you, you can't not do it and compete with the best. It's still a fairly new uh, field of study. It's certainly not like you know physics or uh, engineering. I mean, this is we're only talking a couple hundred years old, uh, and there's still a lot that's left to learn. Uh, I mean, how exercise is one thing, and uh, human anatomy and physiology is another. But when you combine the two, things get really interesting, and that's when uh, uh, I think it's kind of it's been untapped over the years. Um, no, uh, I, I just think that um, the training, not only practice, sure, practicing and the training tools and these training regimens that coaches are putting kids through nowadays are getting them better. Coaching is getting better. Technology is getting better. But the more they um, get their bodies in tune with balance and proprioception training, it's a huge thing. I think that's underutilized in a lot of sports, especially bowling. Once they tap into those resources, uh, it's going to be it's going to take the game to a whole nother level. So there's still things left to learn um, as far as training and bowling go hand in hand together. You know, you mentioned you know as we're talking about the, you know exercise and training. Um, a lot of our listeners probably know you uh, from uh, some of our social media stuff uh, here at Storm and uh, through our YouTube channel and stuff. And you had a, some great exercise. Uh, videos that you know someone can do at home while we're all quarantined and uh, people aren't able to actually compete on the lanes. I know some of the bowling centers are starting to open back up right now, uh, but there's still a number of them that aren't, and it's going to be a little bit of time and, until we do get back up and running. And uh, and who knows, you know, too, what college bowling is going to look like this fall. I know that's uh, something we'll we'll all of us in the industry will be. Uh, eagerly uh, awaiting some information on and seeing what what's going to happen for and, and they may not be the same for NCAA versus uh, NAIA or, or USBC collegiate uh, bowling might all have maybe some different uh, you know policies we're we're not really sure on that uh, but one of the things too on these videos that I think a lot of people know you for uh, and have really kind of come to love are some of these hot sauce challenge and one of the recent ones you did was the death nut challenge so. Having done that one and having tried some of these world's hottest sauces, what what was the worst and what was the best? You were there. You've seen most of them, especially the death nut. <laughs> the death nut was the worst. It was the worst thing ever. <laughs> I knew as soon as the first one hit my mouth, I was done. And I had a little bit of a lead on Kindle. And once uh, once I got it, once I it's bringing back memories, the first one I was done. I couldn't focus. I mean, trying to throw a good shot, not only under pressure, but when your your head is just on fire, it's a whole nother level. So maybe that's a cool training, like a practice thing. Try and bowl while you're eating death nuts. That'll be a good Sweating profusely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, those are fun. Those are fun. I hope people enjoy them. Well, and Chad, and I believe you also do some of the some of the um, the ball review videos too, correct? We see you're you're one of the three or four that that we'll see from time to time. I'm not sure where you fit into the mix there. Um, which hmm. which one, or am I am I mistaken on that? Have you not done those? Oh yeah, yeah, D done some ball review videos. 
uh, my time there. And uh, six ways. It's now trying to get a lot of people around the office because we're all we're all bowlers, and uh, no, we're not you know tip top level bowlers. I mean, most of us just bowl leagues, so that's the kind of style a lot of people want to see in these ball reaction videos. It's just regular you know average shows like us throwing the shots and see a variety of them. So yeah, the more they, people really seem to like uh like that type of video and it's not really even talking most of the time it's just throwing shots and there's a type of ball video for everyone out there it seems like which is very cool yeah there's no doubt people love seeing these different uh angles and different layouts and different styles of players i mean uh when we started doing these ones with uh, uh the, the the different six ways videos uh and you know it's funny it almost seems like since it's before the virus it almost seems like a lifetime ago uh, but some of these oh. ones with the the phase three and the axiom and you know mega crux ones, I mean they were they were just a huge hit. They've uh, just been uh, they've they've been they've drawn so many uh, different views. They just absolutely love them. Nice job with those. Gracias, appreciate it. I got the idea from watching a Gordon Ramsay show. I forget which one, but he prepared like lobster six ways. And I was like, you know what, I could do like a bowling ball video six ways and make it under you know make it under 10 minutes and uh, maybe people cling on to it. So yeah, it was cool. All right. So I have a question a little bit for both you guys. So feel free to both you guys kind of think about this, but as, as we're talking here and as, as things, like you said, Steve, we don't know where things are going to go collegiately with bowling. How is, how are things, or what are you guys thinking about at storm as far as, far as how anything may change for you guys from, um, from the technical perspective to, anything that you guys are talking about to, you know, the every, people used to love and people pro- hopefully are still able to do these safely, but people love doing the, the, t- the trial with the bowling balls, the equipment, um, forgetting the exact name of them, but where you guys take, take people can come out and do the matchmakers. The matchmakers. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you guys given thoughts or anything that you can share at least publicly on some of that stuff as far as what you guys are thinking? Yeah, I can, I can jump in first here if you want. And, uh, that's one of the things, you know, we are staying in touch with our sales force. Like you mentioned, the matchmakers. I mean, they are uh, in charge of running and hosting those events. And they do them typically on a, a fairly frequent, you know, monthly type of a basis where they're going around within their territories. You know, we've got uh, eight different salesmen that run different parts of their territories uh, all across the U.S. And they'll, you know, host one in a, in a certain city, in a state, in their territory. You know, most of them have cover five or six or so different states uh, and then they will move it around and they'll host different events. And um, that's the kind of thing um, that they have not been able to host. And when we do look at going back to that, there's going to be some, there's going to definitely be some changes to that. Um, you think about where we're living in right now, the world we're living in that, you know, they're not hands and different uh, thumb and finger inserts uh, and passing them around from bowler to bowler and getting refitted and going back and in. There's going to have to be some kind of, uh, you know, cleaning or sanitation process to all these and it's going to affect the bowling balls. It's going to affect the uh, switch grip thumbs and the the switch fingers as well. You know, is going to is going to definitely be part of that. Um, one of the other things too that we have we're looking at. You're talking about development process, and I'll let Chad expand a little bit more on this. But uh, you know, when we're looking at uh, the way that our business has changed, it's not really just even in the U.S., but it's all all around the world. And a lot of different countries are in different states of uh, recovery. Some of them are, are have actively 
uh, are actively closed uh, and shut down right now, whether you're looking at uh, some big bowling markets like Singapore, Malaysia, they've been uh, locked down for uh, quite some time. And then other areas uh, like in South Korea, they uh, dealt with this in a different fashion and they've been lucky enough and able to sort of reopen their businesses and uh, have their bowling centers open under some some different guidelines for how many people they can allow in the in the center at a time but um but they've uh, they still have a tremendous amount of business and uh that's been keeping chad and and us here at storm uh, quite busy still developing all of uh, their new products as well so yeah so he's exactly right i mean it's almost palpable how i'm not going to get into debates with anyone on how well a country was or wasn't prepared for the whole virus thing but it seemed to me like uh korea south korea did did well and they recovered faster and they're currently bowling where not a lot of places here in the u.s are um and it's, that's affected the international market as well as the domestic in many different ways and um we're kind of uh, we brought it up the other day in, in one of our meetings. We feel like um, people are still going to want to bowl. are going to want to bowl more now than, more than ever. And if they don't have their own ball and they don't want to spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks on a premier line ball, they're probably going to uh, opt in for one of the lower lines, you know, like a, like a hotline ball. So um, kind of, and, you know, if that idea was thrown out there, I think it's, it's, purely logical because there's going to be a lot of people that want to go bowling don't have their own ball and they don't want to stick their hand in a ball that you know thousands of other people have so um maybe doing uh, more marketing uh pieces and videos and six-way stuff and reaction videos with our lowering balls which is something that we haven't really focused on in the past because we're always um spending so much time and effort um you know broadcasting our premieres and our masters and things like that so uh, time will tell, but I, I foresee a uh, big uptick in, in lower end ball sales. So more marketing behind that, I don't think will hurt at all. That's probably true, Chad. And you got, uh, you know, there's uh, the, the demand for uh, for rental uh, bowling balls and rental shoes as well might be going down and people are going to be looking to, to get outfitted with their own gear. And if you have your own bowling ball and your own shoes you're going to need something to put it into so you might see some more interest in you know people getting their own bowling bags and, and accessories so it, it's yeah. it's um you know it's definitely not all doom and gloom there could be a, a lot of uh, uh uh things that you know maybe new people we know that if you get your own equipment you get your your chances of going back and competing and practicing more and joining a league and joining a tournament are are greatly increased versus if you're just a casual bowler who uh, gets the rental ball and rental shoes. So um, it, things are going to change, but you know there may be certain aspects. I'm sure there may may struggle a little bit, but there might be some some other parts of our business that do go up. And then, guys, I would also um, not interview you as well, Steve, but I feel like it's appropriate with the new rules. The USBC just <laughs> came out and said that now we can go back to using rubbing alcohol on our equipment as a cleaner again during during competition. From the technical side of things, what does that do to the, you know, to the the outer, the outer, you know, surface of the bowling ball? But then also, the lane, which is I think the people that don't out, you know, people don't always think about that. They think about what it does to the, to your the surface of the bowling ball, but not what it does to the equipment then rolling down the lane. Yeah, the cleaner the cleaner bowling ball. Um, a lot of times, if you're looking at that, your ball is actually going to pick up more oil off of the lane. So, like Chad had mentioned before about what he saw a lot. 
uh, as a coach in college is that you may see the lanes transition differently. You may see maybe the track uh, area kind of dries up uh, a little bit faster. Maybe the ball is responding to that a little bit more. Maybe it is actually uh, instead of experiencing as much of like a, a carry down effect, maybe you actually do start to see the the track area hook more. And uh, maybe the it, maybe we're seeing that transition and that change in the lane condition. And maybe bowlers are are uh, moving their feet more and maybe opening up that shot. Maybe opening up their launch angles more just because of some of these changes here. So yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And that is one of the things that they had uh, mentioned that they will be changing USBC rules wise, um, which is the, like you said, something that has been outlawed or banned. Now the isopropyl alcohol or rubbing alcohol, that's not something that typically uh, would change the hardness, anything, you know, there has been the use of acetone that people used over the years. It's a um, more of a solvent and, and is going to actually soften and, and change the cover stock in a more dramatic way, uh, but being able to clean it, and there are going to be people who are going to want to clean their ball between frames and between games, uh, may very well change the way that that the lanes do transition. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's beautiful. It's, yeah, uh, I think I think I think it's going to be interesting to see how people utilize that rule. If they're going to wipe off their ball after it was shot, if they're just going to do it at the end of the night. Along that, you know, trend will last. You know, so I'm interested to see how it plays out. Well, and the last thing on that I would just add, Tim, was that you know, World Bowling, for example, they had a a rule, and uh, when you would bowl, when you were bowling a one of their World Bowling Tour uh, events, um, you would be able to adjust the surface uh, between games. You'd have to go down to one end of the bowling center so you didn't get all the sanded. You know, the bowling ball, you wouldn't get a lot of mess and debris and dust and, and such uh, all in the bowlers area. So the coaches and the federation would have to actually take the bowling balls of the athletes down and adjust those surfaces. And there would be certain coaches and, and teams that would that would do that religiously every single game, uh, every chance that they had adjust and change and make the cover stocks duller if needed. Um, and then there would be other ones who who would make no changes whatsoever. Like the rule didn't exist. So I think you're going to see that it's really going to depend on who the players are. And there's going to be certain players, teams, and, and types of uh, bowlers who are going to, you know, take advantage of that rule and do it as frequently as they can. And there's going to be other ones who, you know, it, it may not change their, their, uh, their habits or the way that they, that they uh, do go about the, the league or tournament uh, just because that's that's the way that they are and that's the way that they 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 prefer and don't want to see any kind of change in their ball motion or reaction so mm -hmm. and it is just the rubbing alcohol it's not other you know you can't go back to using other cleaners um that's right like yeah. that it is I, just the rubbing alcohol only it's not a you know it's not a, a it's not that they're lifting the ban on all uh usbc approved and non-approved products they're saying no this uh Isopropyl alcohol is something that's that's known to be a disinfectant and, and is recommended to to clean things, uh, not just bowling balls, but clean things to help remove the germs and keep things uh, disinfected. So that that's how it applies to to bowling now is what came from the if you'd say it was uh, from the Center for Disease Control or CDC. But but that's how it, it came about. And it's a good decision that the USBC made to do that. So I'm glad that they that they did make that change.
All right. Well, Chad, it was great catching up with you, finding out a little bit more about you. We see you all the time on those videos and, and uh, thought it'd be great to catch up and chat with you about uh, your collegiate bowling ties and even some of the interesting stuff of how your indirect work with college bowling now is still going on there at Storm. So, Chad, again, thank you for being here, and we will be catching up with you again down the road. Hey, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.